Hello everyone, welcome to the Little Frog Podcast, where I, Adrian, your host, share with you very interesting stories and insights that I've encountered throughout my life. In this short 20-30 minutes podcast, I want to share with you stories that I think are quite interesting. And as I'm experimenting with the different ways of sharing what I think or what I feel to be quite important in my life, I I hope to use stories as a mean to, um, to connect with you. More importantly, I think that stories is a very important way that we as human beings relate to each other. The interesting thing about being an anthropology student is that you write so many interesting um, ethnographies and you find yourself immersed in a way in the writing of the anthropologist. And when I encounter stories from different people, I kind of try to put myself in their shoes and try to understand their worldview. In today's story, I want to share with you someone, share with you the story of someone I um, have briefly known. So why I want to bring up this um, story today is because I have been pondering about the subject of marriage. And of course, this is a very deep topic because uh, most of my friends today are getting married. Um, you know, if you're in Singapore, it is typically the case that at 20, 25, 26, people will start discussing about marriage. And many a times, you will see that young couples, um, they could be as young as 19, 20, 21, they would start talking about getting married. And of course, they, the first thing they would do is not to talk about wedding, not to talk about um, um, you know, wedding rings and things like that. They talk about this thing called BTO, which is built to order. And essentially what it means is that, um, let's say you are 19 and you, you've met someone and you want to start a life with that person. The thing is, um, you can't just buy a house in Singapore. Um, unless you are filthy rich, then you can just buy a condominium and move in or a private housing. But typically the case is that you need to um, wait for a while. And what I mean by wait for a while is that you need to register for a house. So many of my friends who are now in their late 20s, 30 um, and 30s, they have been they have been talking a lot about getting married, buying a house, getting a BTO, getting a government subsidized housing. And for myself, I, I don't have that privilege to participate in such activities. And so I got to think about um, the bigger issue that they are engaging with. You know, they're looking at the issue of marriage. And I often wonder, like, why do people choose to get married? Is it because, you know, of some financial uh, financial aid provided by the government to buy a house? Or is it because of something else? And the interesting thing is, we often think that if you marry someone, you can kind of like, you're kind of tied to that person for better or for worse, isn't it? And, you know, the ring that you wear kind of dictates who you're going to be living with for the next, I don't know, 40, 50 years before you pass on. And when I think about it, there's an increasing, there is an observable trend around the world where we see that divorce is something that is much more normalized. And around me, I have cases of, I've heard of cases of people who are, who are divorced, people whose parents are divorced, and people who uh, they themselves never want to get married in their lives. And amidst, amidst all this like divorce, um, unhappy marriage and things like that, I encountered a quite interesting um, experience of someone, in fact he's a gay man, um, who chose to remain married to his partner despite the fact that 
there's nothing left in the relationship. Okay, I mean, I'm just imposing my perspective here, and I might be wrong. But when I was uh, thinking about this person's story, his name is called Noah, um, I recognized that there really isn't much left there, in the sense that, number one, um, they both live apart from each other. So Noah lives in Singapore, and his partner lives in LA. And then they have a house together, uh, which they bought many, many years ago. Um, but the thing is, they both were cheating on each other in the sense that Noah is having, was having his like romantic liaison in Singapore, while his partner, um, his name is Scott Paul, was having his romantic liaison in LA. And when these two worlds apart, they're, they're kind of like living two worlds apart from each other, and two different time zones even, and they, they, they hardly see each other, they only see each other like once every half a year or a year or something like that. And, and of course, with that distance, with that um, differences, I got to wonder like, what is really keeping them together? There is always this saying that I've heard from many different people that a person chose to remain in a relationship for three reasons. It's either for sex, for money, or for security. And when I look at it, they, they don't seem to have either of, of them. Because um, Noah has told me himself that they have stopped having sex like 12 years ago, which is a long time ago. And they, um, you know, money-wise, they both have a very successful career in their own rights. Noah is, uh, Noah is a very famous person in Singapore. I'm not going to name who he is. Um, and whereas his husband, Paul, is also a very famous person in LA. So they both have a lot of money on their end. And to speaking about love, they both have their own lovers outside of their marriage. And so when I was asking Noah, why do you choose to remain married to him? And he said that, you know, um, he doesn't know. He, perhaps, perhaps there is a, a sense of polyamory in, in this equation of like relationship that I'm not aware of. Um, and perhaps it is uh, an anger where they both chose to remain married to each other because um, they couldn't, they quote unquote, couldn't find someone else better to be married to. But I'm not entirely convinced in the sense that when I was talking to Noah, it seems as though he he had thought about leaving him for a uh, living Paul for quite a bit. In fact, uh, when he was recounting on his previous relationship, Noah told me that he actually was in love with the person that he was dating. Um, but unfortunately, the person wanted something more in the sense that he told Noah that he wanted him to divorce Paul, and then they get married together in, in LA. Um, naturally, for, for, for Noah, this was a no-go because Noah wanted to remain married to Paul. And I asked him why, because, you know, you don't live with him anymore. You guys are two worlds apart and things like that. And he said that he said that with other boys, it is it's for sex and it is for the, the, the company, the liaison. But with Paul, it's a different thing on its own. And he said that maybe one day, you know, when he lose, when he loses his, like, libido, he's going to be... Um, 100% um, faithful to his husband. And that was quite interesting because for me as someone who uh, who is not married, who looks at 
a lot of relationship with a kind of cynical perspective. I cannot help but to feel that aren't they just tying each other down for no reason better than to tie each other down? I mean, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship where I am tying someone else down or feel like I'm tying someone else down. And vice versa, I don't want to be tied in a relationship where I am feeling like I'm tied down. And so when I look at their relationship, I, I felt a little bit taken aback. You know, when I was reflecting on this, um, I think queer in queer relationship it is quite difficult to to kind of wrap your head around it because, for example, if you think about like straight couples, for example, many a times you hear stories like they chose to be together, they chose to remain married because of the fact that they um, they have a children, they have children. Sorry, my grammar again. I'm I, you know it's like eight p.m. now. I'm just recording this in my studio. Um, so you have to forgive me for that. I mean, back to what I'm saying. Um, so they have children in between them. So it's quite challenging for them to, to kind of say that, hey, let's get a divorce, you know. And more importantly, um, it is also about like the family members as well. Like people who are married, couples who are married, they have they are not just answerable to their children, but they're also answerable to their in-laws and and their I don't know. Who else would answerable to um, the, the mortgages and things like that? And when I look at it, I think that there is this aspect of marriage that makes it really difficult to stay together. But of course, this is not. Um, this is quite like a, a growing case among people that I've seen, and there are also cases where I've seen um, happy marriage happening. One of those people that I've known um, that have a, one of that beautiful marriage, beautiful relationship is. My 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 old neighbor, Tim and Ross, who might be listening to this podcast. When I was reflecting on their marriage, when I look at the way they interact with each other, even though they are in a six, they are in their sixties, I cannot help but feel that they seem as though there is this spark between them that I don't see in people around me. Um, for example, when I look at some of my friends who are, although in their forties and thirties, and they probably were not married as long as. Tim and Ross, there, re- there really isn't that spark between them. You know, when I have meals with them, when I have meals with them, things were just, um, they were just like friends. You know, they they were just like partners, companions, and and I don't get that that I don't feel that gender uh, quoi between them, which I feel among like young couples who just you know like dated each other, or among um, Tim and Ross. And so I, I got to think about like what really makes a relationship work and what not what what does not make a relationship work as well. Um, so for a start, I don't have a list with me. I don't have a laundry list. I'm just gonna blab out what I think makes a relationship works and what does not make a relationship work. And I guess the first thing that came to my head that makes relationship work is relationship is about give and take in the sense that. Um, it is not about trying to make sure that the other person um, is imposing his way or her way, and it's not about you imposing your way or or your ideas as well, or being imposed. Rather, it's about picking the right batter to be in. Let me give you an example. For ex- um, in some relationships, people choose to be much more submissive. For example, in terms of um, the food that they eat. One of them might be much more compliant with the other person. Let's say, let's say, for example, myself, I cannot eat seafood. So the people that I date, you know, I would always tell them that no, I'm, I can't eat seafood. So, 
that's something that I really need you to be aware of. And so the other person would, of course, be much more compliant than go, go with me and not have seafood and not eat anything with seafood in it or cook seafood, you know, for me. Perhaps that's a bad example. Perhaps a better example would be, um, let's say it's Friday night and you are watching a movie together. Who gets to pick a film? <laughs> of course it is, you know, um, it is a give and take session now, you know, like I could be the one deciding, okay, let's for the next two hours of our lives, we're going to be watching my film. And the other person might be like, I don't want to watch it because it's, you know, it's too bimbotic or too silly for me. And of course, you give and take, and you be like, "Fine, since you like this, since you want to pick a movie, let's just go with what you want to pick." Okay, <laughs> I guess there'll be people who want to kill me right now, but whatever, right? <laughs> it's my podcast; I can say anything I want. <laughs> well, anyway, so that that is an example of what I mean by give and take. And when it, when it comes to friendship as well, isn't it? Because with my friends, there's a lot of give and take. I have this friend; she is a vegan. Who is probably listening to this podcast right now? Um, give and take happens when I decide when I say something like, "Hey, soft, um, let's go and eat um, vegan food." For example, um, she 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 really really liked this thing called yong tau fu, which is um, this this dish that is that is mixed with like um, fish balls, fish cakes, and things like that. And in Singapore, it's quite a big thing. People have to eat it. And so, with my friend Sophia, who is a vegan, she it is quite difficult for her to find um, vegan-friendly yong tau fu. And thankfully, there's one near our university back then at Clementi. And you know, I'll be like, "Soft, let's go and eat yong tau fu." You know, it's really nice. And she's like, "Yeah, let's go." So we would like, so we would motivate ourselves. You know, we would sit in the library, we would study all the way until 7 p.m. from the morning, and then we would go to um, that yong tau fu place and eat it over there. And that is the kind of feeling that you get. I mean, I will not impose on her now, but but then years later, she um, she kind of bent over backwards for me in the sense that when I got back to Singapore last year, she took me out to eat something that she will never eat as a vegan, which is um, this place called Pu Two, which is at uh, a mall in in Somerset. Um, Singapore is a Malay restaurant, and they were offering like they're purveying like. Um, Beef and beef rendang, um, ayam masak merah, and things like that. And I was so happy because I really miss Malay food, and I was kind of concerned because she's a vegan. And what if you know when she's there, she has nothing to eat? I will be so stressed about it, and I'll, I I will feel really bad. I don't want her to feel like she's compromising because of me. And then she was like, No, 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 Adrian. You know, um, I want you to enjoy yourself. You 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 don't come to Singapore that frequent. You should, you know, you should have what you like to eat. And that's when I realized that there is this element of give and take as well, that she chose to kind of compromise on her dietary habits and behavior because of me, and I felt really nice about it, and and so I really had a nice meal with her that day. And it, actually, I remember that it was like the the second day of my arrival or the third day. Yeah, that was a really good meal, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Soph. I would love to go there with you again. <laughs> Anyway, back to the topic of give and take and relationships, and and I, I guess the second thing that came to my head when it comes to um, what allows a relationship to last long, I think there is an element of surprise as well. I guess relationship is a lot about surprises, surprises in the sense that um, you do things out of 
out of this altruism that you have for the other person, uh, kind of generosity that you have for the person. I don't think it is about buying an expensive present like a Gucci Prada bag or things like that. But I think it's those small gestures, you know, like paying attention to what they need, which can which can make a huge impact. So, for example, um, let's say you know you your partner is someone who is very messy, and instead of trying to nag their partner and be like, "Hey, why 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 are you so messy? Why can't you just tidy things up?" Perhaps the best thing to do is to buy him or her um, those shelving units or an organizer, and those things really makes a difference because because when you ha- when when you actually do those small things. You are going out of your way, firstly, to help the other person, and secondly, you are not kind of imposing yourself on him or her, because the thing is, when you do such thing, they have the option of, they actually are given the option of using what you give or not. They could be like, oh, I don't want it. I'll just chuck it aside, which I did for some of the things that、um, people have given me. <laughs>、um, but the point is, you know, the fact that you give, give the gift to the other person. And you attend to their needs in that sense. You show that you have an awareness of what their、um, what their needs are, and, and I think that really goes a long mile. And perhaps the, the key point is not so much surprise, but attentiveness. Yeah, I think the, the, I think what, what, what I think what I wanted to say was attentiveness. Having that level of attentiveness really help a relationship last last longer than it actually should last. And when I think about My own friendships, for example, I think that my friends have been、um, extremely attentive to my needs as well. For example, I have friends who would. Last year, when I lost my job, I was in a state of、um, I was in a state of lost, you know, lost, and I was in a state of pain as well. And I have friends who were very attentive to my needs. For example, there was someone who would text me every day. Her name was Afra. And she would try to make sure that I'm I'm okay, because she know how、um, she could, she could sense how isolating it could be when you're alone, and that she made that effort to、um, to reach out to me on a daily basis, checking on me,、um, making regular calls with me because she knows that I was in trouble. And I think it is this small acts, this attentiveness that makes a huge difference as opposed to gift giving and buying like expensive gifts. And I think the third thing that allows a relationship to last long, I think, is patience. It's the patience of like being able to tell yourself that the other person's action is not necessarily not necessarily a reflection of their perspective towards you. It is this patience, this self awareness, this ability to hold back your first, utmost, immediate reaction towards the other person. Um, and actually, actually, not engage so much emotions, but an intellect into what is happening in your relationship. This patience, I think,、um, is quite important. And so, when I reflect on my relationships that I that I have been in, and that then that I'm in, I think that patience is a huge thing in in allowing us to continue going、um, going together for the past years. Because, because having that sense of like, okay, I'm not, I'm having the sense of like, I'm not going to fight because of,、um, 
because I'm, I'm aware that this is not about me, but it's something that you are going through, is way more um, is way more intelligent than to be like, my ego is bruised and I want to fight back, you know. I have heard of stories where I have this friend, her name I don't want to say, she loves to fight with her boyfriend. And the funny thing is, she would pick a fight with him almost like once a week. Very, very tra- traumatizing, you know. For example, she would fight with him whenever he forgets to um, to put the toilet seat down. She would get really upset and she would nag and she would fight. And him being a Gemini, very talkative, he would fight back as well. So it would be a back and forth between them quite frequently. And I remember there was once she called me, she said, Hey Adrian, I had a fight with my boyfriend again. And I'm like, what happened? Why again? And she was like, he doesn't care about what I'm going through, you know. And I guess at one point, you cannot help but think that, um, you know the story of the boy who cried was wolf? Yeah, that, that kind of, it kind of felt that way as well, because when she fights with her boyfriend so relentlessly and so frequently, you cannot help but think that her boyfriend has been used to her trashing out her emotions without control. And although I think that she is quite a patient person, like she's an accountant, she is very meticulous, she takes her time to think through whatever she's doing, I cannot help but think that at this area, she lacks the patience to hold herself back and to reflect on her own beliefs and her own um, insecurities. Of course, I'm not saying that I have been very successful in life and in love. But I guess having this, um, having been in many, a couple of relationships, not many, but a couple of relationships, I, the things that I observe are these. And that I think that Relationships sometimes is actually a reflection of who we are and it is a reflection of what we are lacking and what we have. I remember that um, I was listening to this podcast by this astrologer and she said something really interesting and she was actually not talking so much about um, a a particular relationship or a particular zodiac sign per se. But what she was saying was that a, reflect, a, a relationship is essentially a reflection of yourself. You're actually in a relationship with yourself, you know. The other person is not as important as you are. So when she was saying that, she was making reference to the fact that when we are in a relationship, we are bringing two baggages of people together, in a, the baggages of two people together. People, So people, person A and person B has their own baggage of emotional and traumatic past. And when these two bonds come together to kind of like interact with one another, there's going to be explosive effect. Um, it is how you manage your own baggage in this relationship that matters the most. And and when I was reflecting on that, I, I can't help but agree that all of us, regardless of romantic relationship or in um, friendship or in, you know, relationship with our parents and our children and things like that, we are baggages and baggages of emotional turmoil, emotional trauma and things like that. We bring them from one end to another, from one relationship to another. And when we are interacting with someone else, it is our trauma, our past, our insecurities that are shaping the way we are seeing and interpreting all the actions from the other person. I'm not a psychologist here. And I'm not some sort of like um, social observer per se. 
my perspective is solely shaped by my own like, experience with therapy and my experience with people. And I think that, I think I can firmly say that all of us, in our interaction with other people, we cannot help but to wear that, um, that lenses of our own insecurity. And it is this patience that we need, this intellect that we need, this um, ability to disengage those pain, those um, hurt, those trauma in our interaction with another person. I think that this is a very difficult thing to do. And it is like a lifelong lesson because, because I don't think that many of us, even to our deathbed, have, um, have successfully conquered the lesson of life, which is to let go of our past, let go of our emotional pain, and embrace, um, embrace a, a hurtless life per se, and if there's such a thing, right? Um, so I guess life is really about this sense of like, unlearning our pain and unlearning our trauma and when we enter a relationship with someone it is how we manage those trauma those pain and those hurt and having the having the experience with like going for therapy reading like books about therapy and things like that you do get like a fresh pair of eyes when you look at relationships me today who, who is 30 now definitely is not going to see relationship the way i was seeing in 20s and my 18s you know and of course, when I'm in 40, I perhaps might be much more jaded about relationships, but safe to say now, I'm still not that jaded yet, okay? I still have a gleam of hope in the relationships that, I'm, that I pursue and things like that. And, and I don't know why I'm saying this. <laughs> I guess the point is that in today's episode, I want to sum up everything that I thought about um, relationship in a while, which is that it is a lot about patience, it's a lot of it's a lot about attentiveness and there is also it's a lot about compromise and and sometimes i wonder if um, people who are married have all this tree and perhaps they don't and so if they don't what is really holding them down together is it the material things in life is it their children or is it the optics which is to keep them you know to make them look like a wholesome family unit of course, those things are beyond my comprehension. I am not a therapist and I'm not a social observer per se. Um, but I guess when I'm saying all these, one of the biggest thing I want to say is that human beings are very complex creatures and that I have this debate with my friend when I was in Sicily that he believes that human beings are very straightforward and easy to interpret and understand. Of course, I don't believe him. I believe that human beings are very complicated and irrational. So that's all for today, and I hope you'll tune into my episode in the following weeks. Bye!